and welcome to the Dice is Screaming podcast. Arr! Dice are roaring. Well, they're hungry. <laughs> well, that's because they're infuriated. <laughs> we are the moldy rations of gaming podcasts. <laughs> oh. Oh, man. Yeah, well, you know, you'd have no other choice but starvation, so you might as well just take a bite and swallow. <laughs> Damn you, cleric. Yeah. That's when you wish he'd memorized one less healing spell. Yeah. Purify food and drink, please. Oh, no, it happens. It happens, but that's us. Right, that's us. So, uh, welcome to the show. I'm Randy. I'm Mike. Yeah, and today we're going to be do- talking about the 40th anniversary of Star Frontiers. And so, as well foretold by the Macromancer. Oh, the Makaeomancer. Makaeo. I'm sorry. Yes, the Makaeomancer has spoken truly. So we we are here uh, talking about Star Frontiers. And yeah, uh, we'll preface the uh, bad parts later. But uh, first, we're just here to talk about a lot of good stuff and what's been happening. So let's talk about... We're about both the love and the hate, okay? I mean, we're not going to bring one without the other. We're going to talk Star Frontiers today. And there would be no point in doing this conversation unless we talk about how awesome the initial releases really were. Right, and this is a this is a game that DSR uh, came out with. It fits pretty well to the basic expert, but before we jump into it for, uh, first and foremost, uh, let's get a reading for what foretold us in the future. Ah, the Makaeomancer uh, raises up the blade and gazes upon it. Into the future he sees. And I see a discussion largely speculative in nature on the recent announcement regarding 1D&D. Oh. We're, we're going to, uh, if we're going to be super candid, we've got some speculation of our own. Uh, a little will be debunking of like extreme interpretations that have been made about like you know, some of the uh, the little tidbits of information that we've been able to access. Uh, you know, there's a little debunking there, but there's also, you know, like our own personal thoughts, concerns, things like that. We have wildly divergent opinions and we'll share all of them. So uh, we're going to have a peek at that next week. Uh, it's, again, much like the D&D movie that's coming out. Uh, there's a cautious optimism in place where it's not that we you know, ferociously disapprove or anything. Uh, But there's room for speculative concern and speculative hope. Both ends of the spectrum are in play. So if you're you're looking for rigid absolutism, I'm sorry, we are entirely out of stock. No, well, we... uh, We'll be taking a look at some of the reactions people have had throughout the internet, both on... Mostly I've been on with Twitter and a few other places, but uh, Twitter is always a unique experience. I like to curtail my experience and cultivate a kind of nice garden that I like to weed out of pestering people. But in this case, I uh, made an exception and just dove right in uh, <laughs> at first. I was over at Tiamat's Tavern and, uh, oh man, you know, there, there's been some bleeding and squealing. Oh yeah, first time? <laughs> First time, huh? Yeah, yeah. This is our uh, gallows meme moment. Uh, I'm like, oh, first time, huh? 
There's there are some new arrivals. Five E has been so popular and so influential in the, the return of the game to prominence uh, that there is an entire generation that has never experienced a major gear shift, mm. uh, and this doesn't seem to promise to be a major gear shift. No, but it seems major to them. Well, yeah, and, uh, but and they so, didn't go through 3.5. I mean, yeah, if you want a major deviation in core concepts, oh boy, I'm not saying it was bad, but I am saying well, third edition. I, yeah. I would say third edition itself. I mean, 3.5 yeah. is kind of like well, okay, all right, well, three 3.5, like the the leaving behind of second edition and the moving to the third and 3.5. That was a big step. A Ooh. lot of major changes, a lot of structural differences. However, the core concepts were all still in place. The big important things that were necessary. So you know, we, we don't feel a lot of fear. Uh, there's nothing that we've seen so far that suggests a major gear shift out of this one D and D. It doesn't look like it's going to be as you know, like a, a you know <laughs> ELE extinction level event. I, it's not triggering those kind of alarms. No, so but we'll uh, we'll delve into that. So let's get into today's podcast, which is Star Frontiers. Now, uh, back in August 1982, this game burst out in the scene. It was well advertised outside of just the normal echo chambers of Dragon Magazine and the gaming uh, zine time of the place. Uh, uh, places of the time, I should say. Yeah, there were not a lot of science fiction games available. Right, okay. there was Traveler and a few other space opera and had been out there for a, uh, a little bit, but... <clears throat> That's it, you know. But here was TSR leaping full, I mean, with both feet fully into uh, the science fiction game, and they came out with a uh, box set called Alpha Dog, and uh, I have both versions here. So we got... And the first uh, thing to look at is the initial cover with Elmore crashed spaceship on fire and guns out ships down and we're mad as heck <laughs> yeah <Arr. laughs> oh yeah just uh, not to mention uh, with the exception of the alien creature uh <laughs> there's some serious 80s hair going on that oh is yeah pretty awesome <laughs> but which since we're 80s people uh, it's pretty awesome to us maybe not so much to others but yeah, crashed ship, uh, alien world, and uh, you know, laser pistols at the ready as you move from the wreckage. Uh, I love it. Yeah, exciting, and it starts right at the top. Exciting adventure on alien worlds. Yeah, science fiction role-playing game. And here it is, uh, full frontal nerdity all on display. Yeah, it was a tension grabber. It was con. It went outside of the norms and went into comic books. It was well advertised. It even had a little TV advertisement too uh, that I was just looking at. But <clears throat> the box set comes with some maps, uh, counters, and a uh, two little books. One is the basic game rules, which is a really slim volume when you look at it, but it contains a lot. Uh, it shows you right away how to create a character, the races available, and how to uh, basically run combat, use movement, and a basic stash of equipment. Uh, a chronograph communicator, uh, some grenades, first aid packs, stim dose, uh, and weapons such as the gyrojet pistol or laser pistols and rifles and a needler. And a solo adventure to get you right into the game and teach you the basic concepts of how to run or 
not run, but run with the characters. So right now we're going to take a moment out and just talk about the basic mechanics that made this game really fun uh, right out the gate. TSR had uh, a propensity for using multiple dice from the D&D game. They decided, yep, we're just going to use die 10s. And uh, you started with your attributes rated from 1 to 100, usually about in the 25 to 75 range. And uh, it was strength and stamina, dexterity reaction speed, intuition logic, and personality leadership. And uh, in the little slim booklet, you don't get a whole lot. But then the expanded game rules show you the different races. So let's take a moment yeah. there. There's there's what I want to talk about, the sapient species that you're all playing. Of course, uh, Dralocytes, which are amoeboids with two eye spots that are malleable and can form different limbs. And of course, well, those strange uh, creatures, humans. <laughs> and uh, uh, the illustrations by Jim Holloway, uh, who many may remember from Traveler and like other uh, publications from TSR uh, and various other game companies, West End, you know, Holloway has been all over the map. You know, he is a prolific artist uh, for the black and white interior illustrations that. He has a wonderful sense of both seriousness and comedy. So, yeah, you'll find a bunch of Holloway's classic illustrations inside. Oh. Yeah, and this one, uh, the human race is uh, uh, virtually identical to earthly humans, although they don't come from Earth. This is completely devoid of Earth. Uh, they come from Thera and another planet as well. Um, they also have a long lifespan of 200 years, probably due to the advanced technology in the setting. Um, then there's Brusque, which are an insectoid race, and normally insects are usually portrayed as an enemy. Here, they're fairly friendly. Um, they're given, they have uh, eight walking legs and two five-clawed manipulative uh, forearms, and they uh, are very hive and order-structured creatures. They're very logical, and their society is structured as commercial ventures. And uh, they often have the little moniker of giving their company name before they're given name. And then there's the Yazarians, which uh, Mike was talking about on here. They're kind of uh, anthropoids who are some type of, of vestigial, uh, vestigial winged apes, kind of like sugar gliders with an attitude. And they are, they have patasia, the wing flaps stretching between their arms, and they can glide. Uh, they're also nocturnal, so they need, their eyes are very sensitive to light but gives them an exceedingly powerful uh, vision during the night. And uh, they're also prone to going berserk in combat. Yeah, the personal honor is really important. Like, you know, kind of like little tiny, you know, angry monkey bat Klingons. You know? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, then the other race is the Sathar, which are basically mysterious worm-like beings with some kind of agenda. And uh, they are the villains of the setting. They're worm-like, and they have tentacular arms for manipulation. They can move around, in, and they are very alien. And their behaviors and motives are inscrutable. They are not prone to communicating, and none have ever been taken alive. Of course, corpses have been retrieved. They have hypnotic powers. Yeah, that's something that's, you know, that is their one thing, is they can reach into the minds of others through their gaze and change their attitudes. Burgeoning psionic ability, which this does not have and so at this yeah, point the game doesn't have like a you know a psionic system so like the hypnosis power was unique to them 
uh, not a thing that uh, everybody else could run around with. Like, oh, how do I do that? You don't. <clears throat> yeah, so um, with this comes a lot more gear, uh, expanded rules on how to run combat, not just on movement, but in cars and vehicles, because that's going to happen. And you're going to have a lot more rules adjudicating the use of skills. And then this was where uh, Star Frontiers kind of ran a little bit into or touched on what Traveler had done. You basically set, you pick a career up path based on your personal specialization. And it can either be military, scientific, or biological. Or excuse me, military, technological, or biosocial. And allowed you to buy skills that fell into your primary skill area at a discount. And skills were ranked from one to six. And uh, with each rank giving a bonus to the percentage uh, that your skill level had. So six points of 60%. So it made it pretty easy to uh, rate your character. And many of the technological skills were penalized by their complexity of whatever. And there's a system for making robots. Uh, expanded combat for using uh, large-scale weapons and not fully automatic weapons. Love the picture by Tim Truman of the Dralostite punching some kind of <laughs> angry little things, but um, little squabs yeah. coming out of the sand, attacking him, he just punches them out, making, Punch. showing his extra limbs ability. <laughs> <clears throat> Giving him the old Popeye punch. Pow! No, I... Uh... <laughs> I did love the grenade bounce diagram, direction mm -hmm. of throw. Because <laughs> that's going to happen. Little tables to like figure things like that. So a lot like, uh, there's going to be some comparisons like Traveler. So let's stick a pin in that and talk about it. This uh, system uh, where Traveler was very much like, okay, here's everything. This was a lot more focused. Uh, the How do I put this? The intention with Star Frontiers was a great deal more about the active adventure, okay? Uh, right out of the gate, Traveler had the macroeconomic uh, and exploration, uh, you know, the kind of mercenary aspect of existence, uh, you know, like covering the costs and things like that. That was from the get-go. From the first basic rules of Traveler, you kind of understood how wide the field was. Uh, Star Frontiers, in its initial release, was a little more focused on going into the strange place, knowing that you're probably going to get in a fight, uh, and being able to maintain and make the best use of the equipment available to you was like right at the forefront. Whereas the skill system in Traveler was very vague, very simple. You know, it, it broke down to big, wide fields um, in some respects. Like, uh, oh, now what was the term they had for... Uh, it, it wasn't persuasion. It was more like uh, bartering or something like that. I'm trying to remember for a moment. But uh, mm. the, the social skills in Traveler were just... You know a lot more broad here you see i i think a lot more intense detail that yeah. sets star frontiers completely apart from traveler's system even though they kind of share a similar one like where you have a military uh, biosocial or technical technical background it kind of shows a little bit of a nod towards that career system but here it was a lot more freeform and loose 
which yeah. allowed you a uh, diversity. You could say that you served a term in the uh, you uh, United Planetary or Federation of Planets, yes, Starfleet, the United Planetary Federation, the UPF. <clears throat> and, but this one doesn't give you, uh, at least in the Star Frontiers game, doesn't assume that you have a ship. As a matter of fact, there are no rules for flying or piloting ships, which is something that uh, the initial Alphadon rules purposely left out because they more or less transported you to a place. And the first adventures like uh, Crash on Volturnus set the stage that you were kind of on one planet, helping the DM kind of focus or Game Master focus originally on what the setting was and what how the scope of the scenario could be compartmentalized so it could be broken down to easy to understand concepts for beginners. And that's Who hires the space mercenaries? Yeah, and it, Where will they go to kick ass and find cool things? Ancient ruins on a forbidden planet? Uh, gotta you know, like get dropped off there, kick some ass in the ruins and acquire alien artifacts and then return to the ship. Yeah, okay. Pretty cool in my book. I mean, you're, you're not gonna hear any hate from me. Right, and they had an integrated system for not only designing your own worlds and aliens, it provided the prefunctory map of what the three main races, how they got into this together, uh, which is an interesting story in and of itself. Just basically uh, that they all contacted each other through a sub uh, space radio, which allowed faster than light communication so they could speak to one another. And once they discovered that there were other creature, uh, beings out there. They met they on a BBS board. Yeah, and they basically start sharing information and built the first faster than light drive. And that's what uh, started this big thing. And, um, you know, eventually they formed the United uh, Planetary Federation and then had the Sathar and meet them. And then the first Sathar war broke out. It was not very fun. fun. And so that's happened. And so now your characters are kind of put in this post-war status. And it's looming overhead that the Sathar are once again building up to attack the uh, people of the Star Frontiers game. And so that's pretty much what the first one uh, modules are. It's, uh, it's, what is it? Uh, Volturnus, Planet of Mystery, Star Spawn of Volturnus, and then uh, Sundown on Star Mist. And I have uh, out Return or Mission to Alcazar. Yeah. But there's also two other modules. And, uh, <clears throat> but that encapsulates the first game and it has a lot of vehicle rules. You can play from uh, aerial vehicles to ground vehicles, aquatic, whatever you, your imagination can come up with, this game can hold. And for an out, for a first, for first time game masters and players, it's very focused and it sets a tone of its, it has its own continuity and it provides a kind of meta that the Sathar are massing up for another major war. Yeah, my takeaways were uh, there's so much that makes it unique uh, and distinct apart from Traveler uh, that it is truly its own game, not merely like, you know, uh, like we, we respun Traveler's big concepts. Hey, you know, the big concepts in Traveler are present in science fiction. That's where Traveler got right. them from. Right. And Star Frontiers made use of a lot of the same things. However, there are shades that remind me uh, so much of Metamorphosis Alpha uh, or Gamma World. You know, you, you really see True. the in-house stuff that is unique to TSR uh, come to prominence in Star Frontiers. Well, so, in the original Alpha Dawn, I mean, they have like shields 
uh, screens to protect the player characters as well as armor and other things. There's a lot of uh, hard thought put into this. The computer design system alone is very well thought out. And it shows that they were really trying for something here. They weren't just trying to be like, okay, we're just cashing in on the science fiction craze. They were ready to make their own game and it came out in time. And I think that's one thing is that they took their time making this game. They didn't just shove it out the door. The technology and the ability to create and modify items is right there in the very first box. But again, this is the Starship box. And everybody wondered, like, hey, what, why didn't they include those? Why can't I own a Starship? Well, then the next part comes out, which is Star Frontier's Nighthawks. And once again, you get a nice Elmar cover there of some fighters attacking a heavy cruiser. And yeah, here it comes, you know, here you are. Another, again, uh, the box set comes with uh, two different, uh, they have the tactical operations manual, which basically breaks it down and has a beginning scenario. And then they have the campaign book, which is roughly how to fly and pilot and crew spaceships. And it is not easy. But also, concluding here, is a very well put uh, combat system for managing anything from small fighters and gunships all the way up to massive battleships and carriers. Oh, very. Um, you know, this is in Nighthawks, and that's uh, Night with a K. Uh, right, not like Nighthawks, like Limousine. <laughs> or Sylvester Stallone. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's, that's our battle cruiser, the Sylvester this Stallone. Stallone. Uh, now, um, the UPF <clears throat> uh, Stallone. Now, uh, much like Traveler. This is where you begin to see macro plots show up. This second outing is where you find all the material that, to me, was more reminiscent of the macro elements present in the Traveler yeah. game. Uh, an acknowledgement that like players are ultimately going to move into the business of going from planet to planet under their own power, making decisions about where the ship goes. You know, like you get to be the captains, uh, you know, find the you point towards that star and just run for it. Uh, that was the big difference here. You finally get to have the broader universe at your fingertips, depending on where you want to go. And the specificity of these manuals is great. Yeah, oh they, my gosh. They talk about um, how to get loans for starships, alternate means of acquiring starships, like starship jacking. Yeah. How to get business ventures to uh, get charters from larger corporations to do some uh, subsidiary work, even a freight and passenger hauling, and all the type of things that you can get in your cargo with multiple tables, how to acquire them. And in original Alpha Dawn, you basically, you were on a starship for a brief period of time or maybe an extended period of time and you would have an adventure on that starship, but you weren't really concerned with flying. It was already going to a place and you were just there for the ride and you could pay for passage. Now you had the ability to charge others for passage and determine how long it took to got, get from one system or place to another. And the raw uh, material processing, uh, how to get tons of raw materials from all over the universe and bring it to uh, places where you can get from the mining ventures to the processing facilities was in itself right here for everyone to see where in Traveler it was there but you had to unearth it and then it comes out with finally they start talking about careers in the space fleet 
uh, the relations between uh, the various races inside the own the systems, like the Greater Rusk Mutual Prosperity Institution or the Capellan Free Merchants, the Galactic Task Force Incorporated, which is basically uh, mercenaries, and then uh, pirates and how to uh, expand the campaign. And then, of course, the second Sathar War breaks out presumably in this and it explains how to incorporate the players in this so it's kind of got a unique meta in this that we spoke of like the first star frontiers kind of sets the players up and gets their feet wet and then with the intro adventure and then goes right into several adventures in volturnus and other places and then eventually you know star uh nighthawks broke out and in 83 and then now you have the ability to travel outside of just you know, buying, booking passage to one place or another, or being sent there by your patron. Here you have more control of your own destiny and talks more about the uh, Star uh, Federation Navy and also talks about uh, how things are going to break out with the war and how to involve the players in it. And it does, spoiler alert, the war as it's set out does not go well <laughs> at first. You know, it does, the tide does turn, but only at great cost in several battles and you know here we go to the star frontiers uh nighthawks rules they come out with the Dramune run uh which is a trilogy set from beyond the frontier uh that goes right from the box set like the crash and volturnus in alpha dawn uh this is part of a trilogy set which the sathar war breaks out <clears throat> excuse me there's the mutiny on the eleanor mores which is a more traditional setting with the characters having their, uh, getting their own ship. And of course, base of the enemy. And my, one of my favorites is the war machine, which is uh, the Sathar construct that they just send right in, in the middle of uh, frontier space. So that is pretty much the game that uh, we, pl I played a few games that we didn't get to play much. We were more enamored of Traveler at the time. So that's a thing, but uh, we'll give a brief mention to Zebulon's Guide to uh, Frontier Space that came out, and it completely changed the whole game. Ditched the system, uh, changed a lot of the rules, how things were done, made it a little easier in some ways to own and pilot a starship right off the get-go, introduced a few new races, anybody who remembers Proton Fire, advertised in Dragon Magazine that never showed up. Uh, <laughs> that's where they put uh, a more uh, robotic race called the Mechanon in here that uh, the proton fire rules got uh, mixed in with that so it was different and quirky and it basically killed the setting because well uh afterwards uh lorraine williams uh got promoted to running the company and she come with the buck rogers franchise in tow and said nobody wanted to play a game about made up stuff that no one understands everybody loves buck rogers so bing bang boom star frontiers was sent to the dustbin of his gaming history but uh there are plenty of boxes that's still around and uh, you can get a lot of the adventure uh and stuff out as well as when we it's look like we're coming up on time here as we're getting low uh, we'll probably take a break here and come back at it and we'll talk a little bit more and then get into some of the recent happenings with star frontiers yeah i'm, I'm gonna uh, like when we return, I, I want to touch on like that transitional moment uh, between Star Frontiers and Buck Rogers. Yeah, yeah. All right. So, 
All right, so we're gonna take a quick break. We'll be right back, so stick around. Yeah, Mike, you want to talk about the transitional moments? Yeah, look, I understand that there were reasons, okay? And let, let's, I'm going to, a little sympathy for the devil here. Okay. I'm going to give Lorraine her props. When you acquire a license for a property like Buck Rogers in the 1980s, which was a very popular show, okay? I bet, like, it actually was, you know, moderately successful. Uh, Gil Gerard. And a lot of science fiction nerds go, Wilma Deering. That jumpsuit was pretty jamming. Um, any, in any case, you acquire a property like that, you have two science fiction properties now competing with one another in your own house. I appreciate the logic behind axing one of them. But let's face it, uh, you know, Miss Williams, you know, she did not have a good finger on the pulse of what gamers like. Uh, she was in the business of like making and selling stuff, but if you don't really know the marketplace you're dealing with, if you didn't come out of it personally, if you didn't have a feel for, well, what are gamers like? What kind of things do gamers like? There was a failure to grasp that in Star Frontiers, they had cultivated a fandom. Mm -hmm. And then they rejected that fandom. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you get nothing. You should buy Buck Rogers. You know, just... <laughs> well, they didn't quite come out and say it, but I mean, it, it but was No, they because... didn't say it, but your actions are more right. important than your words here. Perhaps. You know, when you, you have a product line that people have, like, found favor with, uh, and it was a niche product, comparatively, much like Gamma World, uh, you know, like, neither of these were as popular as, of course... Uh, the elephant in the room, the Dungeons TV. and Dragons. Uh, but they had cultivated niche markets uh, and little like off-day gaming things. Like uh, we're you know like we're gonna take a little break for the main D and D campaign. We'll do some Star Frontiers for a weekend. You know. Then to be told, no, uh, really none of that is coming out. Don't don't look forward to any of that. You should totally get this other thing. Ah. I'm not hating on Buck Rogers, but the circumstances of its birth were, you know, a little unpleasant. Yeah, and this is the portion of the show where it's going to get a little more hating. So if that's not quite your uh, taste. We're rolling the love dial back. Yeah, uh, I love Star Frontiers for its presentation and its its different technology. It was different than Traveler. It worked very hard to be its own game, and I think they succeeded. And it's kind of that. Star Frontiers didn't uh, break the, you know, didn't break any sales records, but it didn't lose money. That's the thing that we're, uh, I think that uh, Lorraine Williams failed to grasp at this. It wasn't losing TSR money by publishing. They made good profit off of this. However, it wasn't going to ever match Dungeons and Dragons. Oh, let's face it. Uh, if at that time period you, you were using that as your benchmark as to whether or not you should do a thing, it's got to make D&D money. Well, then there's no point in making anything because yeah. you're never going to make D&D money with any other product. Yeah, uh, it was not until the era of like uh, Magic the Gathering that like a product 
a hobby product uh, of nerd appeal, like cleaned frickin' house. Oh, well, yeah. I mean, not only did Magic the Gathering make D&D money, it made yeah. mega <laughs> D&D. I mean, it made D&D money. Like, once, they... the, once the, once the uh, you know, the wheels got rolling for Magic the Gathering, if they woke up with D&D money, yeah. <laughs> they'd have thrown themselves off the building and shot themselves in the head on the way down to make sure it took. <laughs> just, no! <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, but at that time, circa 19, you know, like 85, 82, you know, uh, 88, you know, in that those, those rosy halcyon days of yesteryear, uh, D&D was number one with a bullet, and it was very unrealistic to expect the same kind of results. Uh, I, you know, like I know hindsight 2020, but I, I feel like that one should have been obvious right there. Well, you know, it, it is telling that all the other games like Top Secret, Boot Hill, Gamma World, they were put off to the wayside. I mean, Boot Hill would get one last, I think, third printing. And I think uh, uh, Gamma World got a couple more attempts at it. But yeah, Star, you know, they put a lot of money into Buck Rogers and it just, it did not sell well. Because part of it was, is that, well, Buck Rogers was very uh, 70s, 80s. Who can rem- forget the disco dance scene in Buck Rogers, the movie? <laughs> yeah, uh, who, can, who can forget that? I mean, you can remember it? Oh, well, okay, well, then try to forget it, because I just did it. Um, you can't, and it didn't age well, okay? I, as much as I love Old Gil, and, you know, seen him at a couple of conventions, but, yeah, it, it was a product of its time and people wanted to move on. It was the 90s and it was edgy and everything had, you know, belts and buckles and boots, trench coats and spikes. So, yeah, they tried to do that. Black Barney. I, I love him. But uh, just doesn't, Barney does not translate well in the later half of the 20th century. The name <laughs> Black Barney. I mean, he's already Barney Fight. What? I don't know. Oh, man. Oh. Uh. I, I did like that uh, artificial intelligence computers uh, yes. formed the council that ran the humans. Uh, however, they were not, you know, people had not really gotten the hang of original thinking and spontaneity and things like that. That was that was a core thing in the, the old Buck Rogers show was, you know, here was this guy who, you know, there were some great concepts. A little more you know. freewheeling and random, like trying to teach people, like trying to teach fighter pilots the concept of a dogfight. Uh, you know, with yeah. all of the terminology being stuff that most people of the distant future couldn't possibly relate to. But don't you just punch in the standard defensive pattern? You know, which, yeah, yeah, but the, the other guy already knows all of your defensive patterns need to do different things. So, now... Uh, I I would contend that while Buck Rogers made a popular show, uh, Star Frontiers had already established its place and the disruption was just too great. Yeah. It was too great of a disruption, too sudden, and you know, the people who enjoyed Star Frontiers enjoyed the fact exactly that it was different, that it was unknown, that there were new things to read, as opposed to, oh, Here's the game of the show that I saw on TV. You know, well, which was actually nothing to do with it. It was a lot. No. They changed the. Complete. Had a lot more to do with the Pulp Fiction uh, and the classic old movies. Well, yeah, uh, that was a later one, but it was more anti-corporate, like you know, the Ram Corporation from Mars. 
Russian-American uh, mercantile corporation that was exploiting Earth for everything and left everybody behind in the dirt. And uh, the Neo uh, organization, New Earth, New Earth organization, was fighting for their independence and to stop the exploitation of the resources and people of Earth. And then, you know, there was genetically evolved humans, genies, as they were called, to adapt to the different uh, climates and atmospheres of uh, planets in the solar system like Mercury, Luna, Venus, and Jupiter. So, as well as Ram, you know, pretty much, you know, you know, if you ever look at Elon Musk and wonder why I'm kind of suspicious about a Ram, um, a, a <laughs> Martian conglomerate run by a corporation, see where it comes from. So, yeah, I did read this stuff and I did like this. Like, oh, well, this is actually kind of more true than we thought. Thank you, Mike Pondsmith. So, yeah, I was about to say that like proto cyberpunk emerges, it like was emerging in that era already. I mean, it, it was, yeah, he'd already written the cyberpunk rules, but yeah. here he was like, like putting that corporate anti corporate spin on it. You know? Yeah, uh, the impression that like if they were measuring the direction in which things were going, it was becoming pretty clear that you know, cyberpunk was really just a prophetic vision of. Hey, if we keep moving on this trajectory, this is where we will go. Uh, so, yeah, not way out in the weeds there. Well, we are kind of in the weeds to talk but about Star We're off the base. We're okay. We we still got some time left. Oh but, yeah, yeah, but we got time. Let's fire up the hate machine. All right. Well, I, the pretty hate because I brought full like I, oh, boy. literally my venom sacks are bulging. I'm not kidding you. Like, uh, oh. you know, I just loaded them completely. Uh, you know, if I, if I, <laughs> if I move my face just the right way, I can spray venom. Stop. So, <clears throat> Star Frontiers has been survived by people keeping it uh, the, the banner held high. Star Frontiers uh, Frontiersman magazine is like the Orth Journal, a very well produced and very slick product for very little. If I don't think they've ever really made money off it. No, but uh, Wizards of the Coast let them continue publishing it, and it's been it's still going on to this day. It, it has carried Star Frontiers, and making it still a livable game. It's beautiful uh, production. It's a PDF that you can download. You can go look it up. It really is a good a labor of love, and it's a good example of what people liked about the game, and they kept it alive despite it being dropped by its parent company. Nonetheless, uh, there have been several attempts to revive it. Uh, there were some back when dragon and dungeon were running uh, polyhedron or dungeon was running polyhedron they did come up with uh, some new races uh spelljammer did have uh the core races of our species of star frontiers translated into dnd terms the brusk the um Yazarians and dralocytes they were all given new names and you could encounter them in spelljammer so i that was kind of a nod i guess but Star Frontiers has kind of lingered, and uh, it's future uncertain, and until recently, which we're going to talk about Star Frontiers New Genesis. Now, it before we launch fully into the hate machine, hold on, those venom glands. Um, uh, a pair of goons, by the, uh, we'll just, shall we name them? <laughs> well, all right, I relent. Uh, it would be disingenuous to display disapproval, uh, you know, while leaving like some kind of air of mystery in place. I don't normally favor giving any attention or credence 
to malefactors because you're almost doing them a favor that they do not deserve. Uh, they're beneath yeah. my contempt. I, I, I'm kind of two minds on that, but go on. But it's one of the things where, you know, like we differ slightly in our approach. But yeah, I relent. Uh, we should probably at least like drop some names on this one and acknowledge who we're dealing with. Yeah, I just, I just feel sometimes that exposure uh, rather than cancellation helps people understand who these uh, these parasites are. And, and there's no other word for them. They're parasites. So. Justin Lanasa and Dave Johnson. If you've looked at anything of the playtest rules that have come out for Star Frontiers New Genesis, and we'll just give a little bit of backstory. Justin Lanasa is a businessman from North Carolina who is currently embroiled in a struggle with the uh, Star Frontiers IP with Wizards of the Coast. Um, both inept and unable to grasp the basic parameters of what is a copyright law violation. Uh, he's went ahead and tried to trademark the name TSR and hold it hostage, as it's now been shown. Uh, that was initially a lot of people's suspicion, but it's been proven true. And at almost every turn, he has bungled it and just basically virtue signaled his way like i hate the woke sjw crowd and you should come join me if you're upset with that and hey i can get with you that sometimes the woke scolds can get a little rough yeah you know i'll be the first one to admit that when we're talking about people's behavior on the internet uh there is a lot of bulldogging people that you know, it, it's wildly inappropriate. It's completely out of proportion. Uh, and it's downright vindictive. You know, it's mostly a game of I'm clearly better than you. Uh, however, on the other side of the spectrum, you have people who, when they have no talent, no creativity, no, you know, uh, actual, there's no there there. There's nothing that they can bring to the table to offer to make money. What they can do is use the internet to spawn, uh, you know, little like GoFundMe, you know, help cover my legal expenses. Uh, you know, uh, the bad people who don't agree with me are out there and they're ruining my life. Uh, I, I've noticed that like it's become a distinct trend that this is how these people make money. Okay, they make continual appeals uh, based on, you know, like, I'm the victim here. Like, vast forces of conspiracy are out to destroy me. You mean, after running around whacking beehive after beehive, you're upset that you're getting stung? Oh. <laughs> uh, you know, I, and I have a limited amount of empathy. I only have just so much that I can release. People who, like, the worst thing they've suffered, oh, it was so terrible. I was spoken too rudely on the internet. Mm. Like, wow, okay, look, uh, you know, come at me with your story about jail time. Uh, you know, because you said a thing people didn't like. They set me on fire twice. Yeah, you know, it just, you know, that, I, I'm just not there. I can't figure out what, like, oh, wow, that sounds... No, actually, that sounds like frickin' paradise. It sounds like you have never suffered any difficulty of substance in your entire frickin' life. That for some reason you imagine this is the worst torment ever. Uh, you have never lived in a country uh, where death is on the line if you do anything that people disagree with. 
okay, where the legal consequences can be the state decides to kill you for something. No, uh, <laughs> you you got chewed out on the internet is, I, I, I'm sorry, it's the new version of like, I was bullied on the playground. For 70s kids, that was normal. And so it doesn't seem to us yeah, like, well, you know. It wasn't, it, it was bad to go through and experience, but you know, uh, we all wish for a better world, but at the same time, sometimes you have to accept that people aren't going to agree with your ideas and they're going to say things that aren't appropriate. But giving money to rip-off artists yeah. who have, like, just, they know how to trigger, you know, the, they're, they, they want people who are emotionally triggered. They're just rage bait, okay? Yep. Aren't you upset about this? Oh my God, you should totally be upset about this. We'll be upset about this together. Oh, and by the way, I'm going to need some money. Yeah. Oh, God. You know, just <laughs> as soon as these people realized uh, that they could make a living not actually working, but just inciting rage and exploiting that, that's what they did. You know, like all the predators, like the, the guy's limping through the woods with some blood trickling out of him and all the wolves in the area just start to congregate <laughs> into a giant pack. Ooh, I smell dinner. Uh, and that's that's what these people do. They they absorb money off of bogus rage. Right, and that's what Justin Asa started his TSR company out with. No, we've kind of touched on it, and the reason why I don't like to give them why I'm of two minds. I don't like to give them too much attention unless it's going to be out to call out their pro uh, their problematic behavior. Now. If it's just to make mention of him and he's gonna make him mad, that, you know, the whole saying is like, I don't care what they say about me as long as they're talking about me. That's just Lanasa to a T. This is all a grift. They never had intention to deliver a Star Frontiers game. They were just gonna squat on the IP and get Wizards to the Coast to come off a couple hundred thousand dollars and do some other stuff. However, that's not gonna be the case. And by all accounts, <laughs> uh, it's gonna be in October 2023 that we are able to see the full effects of this, but almost every legal person who's weighed in with a real legal background has said they're so screwed that uh, <laughs> the only thing they could hope for is that Wizards in a um, mood to take a plea deal. Yeah. Um, so they've gripped up. So what have they done? Running out of like uh, your basement, you know, uh, and getting like your guy who, uh, just barely made it out of law school and like really just you know works as a legal clerk most of the time on the side because they're not really any good at real law uh, or or in particular uh, they're not an expert in the intricacies of publishing law which by the way you know publishing law and corporate law are incredibly specific branches of work they have radically different copyright law is its own oh. field of study in legal terms yeah I mean, there, there are it's so broad and expansive that entire the discipline of legal courses are taught specifically in colleges just on copyright law yeah you you really have to have done the extra homework to consider yourself a copyright lawyer uh, so and clearly these people have not. They have Their not amicus brief was some of the most amateurish cartoon nonsense. Oh. It might as well have been written in crayon. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was pretty much just straight up laughed at. Now, uh, this is why uh, it's really unlikely that we're going to see 
some appalling uh, hybrid of Star Frontiers-like material released under this new imprint. Uh, so we may not have to suffer a total embarrassment that is like then a permanent stain on the concept. Uh, let's hope. Well, I, I really unfortunately, hope. our hopes are usually dashed in this age. Uh, Star Frontier's new Genesis was leaked by a Twitter account, uh, No Hate in Gaming. If you want to see what Don... Uh, <clears throat> if you want to see what Dave Johnson's really about, go to NoHateInGaming.com. He has it all up there. We won't even talk about it because we'll probably get this episode removed. It's vile, hateful, and probably short of some Stormfront uh, yeah. tracks I've read that had thrust in my hands at uh, concerts. It is some of the most violently racist stuff I've ever seen. And the fact that he was allowed to get away from it as long as he was because he was working under a pseudonym and he eventually released it because idiots when it comes to the internet. Literally, yeah, they really don't understand the that you can trace. Yeah, that there is a link to between stories. you and the things that you have done and the, the idea of that. But yeah, Dave Johnson, uh, we obliquely mentioned this quite some time ago that it was a incredibly like this was not like oops, he made one off color joke and then the internet victimized him. No, no, let's move away from that. This was this was some of the most stunningly god-awful crap collected and consistently over a lengthy period of time. You really know where the guy's coming from. You know exactly what he's about. Yeah, and he and says it right there in the uh, Star Frontiers New Genesis playtest that they released, which is basically a die 20 system. They completely abandoned it. They, he, this is how unoriginally uncreative they are. They literally put a Negro as a sub-race, described as a tall, thick-bodied, dark-skinned, even purple, dark-brown-eyed race with large strength and average intelligence, and on the 3D18 scale, they are limited to only nine intelligence. <laughs> I don't even know how to start with that if you don't see what the problem is there. They go even further. They say that, uh, oh, other races are uh, appeared naturally. With humans, you can be an African, Asian, misspelled, <laughs> Mexican. Mexican is a re okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. All right. There is literally so much to unpack that it boggles the mind. Okay. The the failures keep on coming. I'm just going to leave it at that. And yeah. Say, they they talk just, about gender just, options. You must choose to be male or female. There are no trans. As a matter of fact, should we make a trans uh, type race? Maybe trans bots was actually written as a designer note. <laughs> they even put conspiracy theories about BLM and Antifa as radical terrorist thugs. It, it, it's unending. And that's just the beginning. The system is so unoriginal. And uh, well, so not being game designers, basically what they did was hijack the classic D20 simple principles. Yeah. Which, I, look, I appreciate that it's out there for people to use, and that is what it's for. Okay. That, oh, that's why fair. it's out there so that people could have a springboard to quickly produce a game and that is why it was created back in the three three or third edition 3.5 era and i'm glad it was however it does tell you a lot that they made no effort to resuscitate the actual like roots of star they years. took some basic elements like the pan galactic corporation was saved by its dairy production because uh <laughs> oh, you know no. i didn't know that milk drinking was a racist 
racist trope, but you know, they proved me wrong. This is all, and the reason why we go into <laughs> yeah. this, this is so They made it one. They made it into a racist trope, yes. They have sullied the Star Frontiers game. What was an original and exciting system and uh, unique setting, they have completely devolved it into some racist character trope that is belongs more on Stormfront's back page or in yeah. some 8chan or Kiwi Farms uh, back forum than it does here. It's... <laughs> the uh, only thing that I hope is that enough time will settle that somebody that uh, Wizards of the Coast will actively get back on uh, the Star Frontiers horse and, you know, redo it right. I, I am amazed that every paragraph in the initial release didn't have exactly 88 words <laughs> and consisted of precisely 88 pages. Don't don't give them any ideas. They may be listening. All right. <laughs> yeah, I I know, dude. It's uh, just it's it, it's crazy. Yeah, there are so many things where uh, people have accidentally uh, let stuff like slip through. They they had somebody in house that was disingenuous and, and signals were slipped. Well, in. good thing we had like, that insider like giving us this information because yeah, uh, the alarm bells went off when they realized like oh god. <laughs> What the heck? Yeah. What the little heck? So, yeah, the pretty hate machine uh, churns on these guys because Star Frontiers didn't deserve this. No, uh, Star Frontiers never did anything to merit this kind of mistreatment. It is a terrific game that, frankly, got short shrift back in the day because the predominance of, you know, AD&D was so great that it dwarfed everything else almost instantly i like nothing nothing could emerge to primacy under the pall of D&D because like i mean it was the clouds in the sky man it was everywhere yeah. uh, but this plucky little game found a niche and found a lot of fans people who were dedicated enough to it to keep it alive on the internet to this day and then to have this happen to it ugh. yeah and that's why we have some bile for these guys because what what chuckleheads what yeah <laughs> i want to use harsher words but i have to be nice they're the worst type of grifter and they're so uncreative that well well one is a flat out completely open about it like he, he is as obvious a grifter as you have ever seen and the other is like an actual activist level like you just think like this producers moment this, this is, they have taken Star Frontiers, a fantastic old uh, role-playing game from the 80s, and like they've, this is my chance to transform it into the new Elder Protocols of Zion. You know, just, yeah. I, sorry, deep cut there, but you know, like, if you're looking for crazy racist psychobabble, uh, there's one of the early classics. Yeah, one of the races, and they've tried to defend this, believe it or not. They have. They've, oh, uh, you know, the Nordics is a UFO, and I'm big into the UFO culture. Yeah, the Nordics have appeared in UFO. But to use them as the pure race? <laughs> oh, my. Yeah. Oh, you're, boy. You're not. Yeah, Nordics have appeared to a lot of people in UFO encounters, and it's a, like a cryptid thing you know, along with the greys and the reptoids and the others. But, um, yeah, it was, I, mm, we're just going to leave that alone. It speaks for itself. 
the master race. Yeah, <sighs> I got you. Oh my god! And I, it's it, so cringe. I mean, that's just that's where the bile glands come out. Is it's it, oh, there is it's so hard to not cringe. I mean, even the discussion of it makes you flinch inside. Like oh oh, it's like. Like staring at an eclipse, I feel like the burn is still in my eyes. Ah, yeah. I just hope that uh, Wizards of the Coast, after this is all said and done, uh, given some time, can get back on the uh, Star Frontier. If we're very lucky, this is going to be an example of like everybody gets to watch uh, this this pair of guys like basically live out the image of a monkey humping a football. (laughs) It's it is going to be that kind of clown shoes and. You know, we're all going to see what happens, uh, like in October next year, with the legal cases finally coming up, uh, and it it should be uh, one of those shellackings you really only see at like you know just epic level sports events where <laughs> it's eighty four to zero. <laughs> There's no playing. Just give up. You've lost. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so. I think we'll all enjoy that when it happens, but it's a shame it has to come to that. I, I really wish we had the kind of situation where that wasn't going to be a thing, but we don't live in that era. But, you know, we still have good memories of Star Frontiers, and we wish it well. And, you know, hopefully it'll get all these goons, and this will get passed, and we'll all move on to a better... I encourage people to dig up the old material. Uh, it's out there online. Make yep. use of it if, if you want to, and you know, like just bypass any need for new stuff. Yeah. Write your own. Be a real DM. All right. Well, we hope you enjoyed our coverage of Star Frontiers, both the good and the bad. And as always, if you like what you hear, just uh, download that dang old Anchor app and uh, give us a follow. So until next time, may the dice always roll in your favor. We're out. See ya.